very obvious connection just looking at Australia's design in general. Um, pay attention to her pose in the cutscene um, just right before her and girls boss fight. The way Astraya holds her Archdemon soul is reminiscent of a pose in art known as Mary Theotokos, which means Mother of God in Greek. And you see it quite often in Byzantine art and, and icons. So this portrayal of Mary has her holding the infant Jesus with both arms close to her chest, as opposed to the Hodegetria or the guide in Greek where she holds the infant Jesus in her left arm whilst pointing to or some or sometimes supporting him with her right hand. And again, this may not be an intentional reference. Um, I know that Miyazaki just sometimes like to take things because they look cool. Which, yeah. Yeah, you just have to look at like the, the blatant uh, Pieta plagiarism. In Bloodborne, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if he knows of the significance of like poses he takes from um, art history and Christian art in, in general, but having studied art history, like I think that it's really significant that these kinds of things are being applied to this particular character. Um, anyone else want to add anything? Because like, um, well, like you were talking about the Virgin Mary, and when we had Loki on, we were talking about dialogue, and he says that there is a line where where someone just calls her the Virgin Mary. Yes, um, that is yeah. the the filthy woman who sells yeah. you stuff. Um, I can't remember exactly what loki said about that but it's probably just like a bad localization because like yeah. the world building was all over the place when they did localization for demon souls mm. and she's referred to as like the sixth saint astraya which is again like an example of, of taking like a a term and just sort of using it in their way yeah exactly because like in yeah. in catholicism like you can't be a saint until you're dead yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, takes, it takes quite a while after that yeah and and the and yeah. the, the pope has to like beatify you yeah. so so it's like you need to you need to be like you need to qualify to be a saint like first you have to be dead and then the pope has to decide if you've been holy enough and then you can be a saint so um I th- there has to be like proof of miracles that you've done and there's got to be like uh like someone who who advocates for you and someone who advocates against you it's a very long process yeah yeah, yeah. Almost, it's almost like an election yeah whereas the the souls games just use saint as a synonym for like holy person yes um it's um it's the same thing with with bloodborne where they use like all these like catholic church yeah. terms like vicar and stuff but yeah. Yeah, but uh but anyway, like apart from Mary, like I mentioned earlier that uh, Astraya may have also been based on Quan Yin. Um if any of you are familiar with Buddhism, she is a bodhis- bodhisattva. It's kind of like a almost like dem- demigod if, if that's the way, yeah. way to, to describe it. So, um if you look at Quan Yin as portrayed in art, she's also wearing like flo- flowing white robes and mm often described as the Buddhist equivalent or analog to the Virgin Mary. She's a deity of compassion or the secondary emanation of compassion with the primary one being Am- Amitabha or Amidaba, depending on who's uh, saying the name. Basically, like these two holy figures, um, I think they are the most obvious influences for Straya. 
And another one is Mother Teresa because of her whole storyline where she goes to the Valley of Defilement to care for the yeah, sick. Yeah, heal the dying. sick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apart from the very obvious nod to, Ma- to Mother Teresa, some other Catholic saints that may have influenced the development of Stry's character include Mary Magdalene, the go-to patron saint for poor outcasts, penitent sinners, etc. There's also some more um, obscure saints like Juliana of Nicomedia. She is the patron saint of childbirth and sickness. Saint Regina, the patron saint of penury and victims of abuse slash torture. And Catherine of Vadstena or Saint Catherine of Sweden, patron saint against abortion and miscarriage. Um, so does anyone like have any comments on like possible influences from real life and um, religion um, on Stry's character? I don't know about real life, but she does strike me as similar to Izanami. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the idea of the the holy woman who goes to the unholy place. And then as a result of uh, Astraya's arc is that she goes to the valley and then she she doesn't so much take it over, but she becomes the focus of everyone in the valley and then she starts defending it from people who are trying to get her back. Similar to uh, Izanami goes to the underworld and then she's she's corrupted by the underworld. And then she sort of just reigns there and she... One, th- one of the things that we talked about in the version that no longer exists is that, <laughs> like, Demon Souls, the it does a thing with the boss souls where you'll be able to get, like, a thing and also it's opposite from the soul. Yes. So the thing about Astraea's soul is you're able to get both the purity and the corruption out of it. So you're able to use... You can use her soul is both corrupt and pure at the same time, so you can take from that either a healing miracle or a disease spell. Yeah, I I actually included like a section on Izanami in the notes I sent you guys, but like I figured like Richie, since you're more knowledgeable in like uh, Shinto and Japanese mythology and folklore in general, like like you would be better fit to talk about that than I am. I I, I guess. <laughs> I don't really know anything beyond like what I've said earlier. Yeah, yeah, like I am I have yeah. like a like a base knowledge of Shinto, but I haven't like yeah. d- done a deep dive on it. So um I'm mostly talking about like Astraya, like her design in particular because I have an art background and like yeah. I studied art history, so there are a lot of these um a lot of these notes that um that I catch onto and just um, just looking at the meaning and the relationship between like certain design choices and the character's development and storyline. They do a similar thing in uh, uh, Latria, like the church in Latria that has that very obvious like white robed saint stained glass window. But it, it also like, it doesn't play into anything. It's just like it's a church, so this is what the windows look like, basically. Like the the fool's idol herself kind of has like a crown of thorns design around her. She's like wearing like a circle that looks like it's digging into her. But what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, like 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 we mentioned <laughs> like we mentioned earlier, like Miyazaki sometimes just takes cues from from the real world, like yeah. from art history in general, and like without necessarily taking into account like the significance of that and the meaning behind it. Like, hey, it looks cool. It looks, I guess it yeah. looks exotic 
enough like to put into the world of like demon souls and dark souls and bloodborne yeah like that's that's a pretty common thing in like jrpgs like they'll start throwing things around that like don't translate well like a, a very common thing in jrpgs is they will use uh like a star of david symbol to represent magic yeah and like i remember like this doesn't happen so much anymore but in the 80s and 90s like Nintendo were very, very conscious of like editing shit like that out, mm-hmm. and they would have like you would meet um, priests and things with crosses everywhere because they just sort of that was visual shorthand for like this person can heal you. Yeah, I remember that in uh, Breath of Fire too, right? Oh God, yeah, that is yeah. Like, that is the one time that is the one time it went through. Yeah, and it's pretty extreme. Like Breath of Fire 2, for people who don't know, is an SNES game where you go and fight Catholicism and kill Jesus, and then it turns out that <laughs> that, that God is God is actually an enormous like dragon sort of demon thing that you then have to kill them as well. Yeah, it's 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 really intense. There's like crosses everywhere and like priests and things, and the characters are talking about how like oh we've got to end this religion by murdering all the priests. <laughs> <laughs> These are our heroes, and like I'm amazed it got through at all. Like this is this is like that got through, but then like five years earlier they were like making people go through and cross like erase every single cross on a gravestone <laughs> in Castlevania because they didn't want to upset anyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised what goes through the radar. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, let's like let's just go to like Stray's outfit. So her outfit yeah. and overall design, like it's meant to evoke Catholic imagery again, like the Virgin Mary or a nun's habit or Vatican robes. But like, it's also very clearly inspired by Shinto. Um, in particular, it's evocative of the Miko or shrine priestesses. Yeah. So they dress primarily in a white haori or a kimono jacket in a long red hakama. And even, even if Australia isn't necessarily wearing that kind of outfit one-to-one, just the color choices make it clear that, yeah. yes, it's also an influence. And uh, it should be noted that white is a color typically associated with purity and virginity throughout various cultures anyway, regardless of religion, mythology, or folklore. Um, if you notice that Astraya's outfit isn't pure white, also has red on the shoulder, sleeves, the belt, and the cape. This is also representative of blood and her loss of innocence. Like, just looking at the cutscene right before her and Girl's boss fight, you see that the entire length of her dress is completely covered in blood. And it's like, it's like it's creeping up from the bottom of her skirt. Um, I think it ends like right before her belt or like around the hip area. So yeah. that's kind of symbolic of the like the blood slowly creeping its way up her clothes. It's symbolic of yeah. how she, how she's like she's throwing away her old life as a holy woman and embracing this demon soul. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she's evil. Um, I've heard some yeah. people argue that Astraya is evil, and she's like she's using her um, she's using her whole. Uh, healing the sick and caring for the abandoned thing as like a way to trick people into worshiping her. But honestly, I think that's kind of absurd and I don't really see much of it in the game itself. Yeah. That's, that's what the filthy woman says. Yeah. But she's clearly not, she's not like an omniscient narrator figure. Like that's just what she says. Yeah. Yeah. 
One of the things we talked about in the version that got lost is that- That's what I was about to bring up, but go on, Richie. <laughs> okay. Is that the filthy woman, like, she, she says, I'm a, I'm a simple peddler. Like, can you give me souls so I can, like, feed my child? So the idea is that, like, when Astraea came through, everyone sort of deserted the valley and followed Astraea. So the filthy woman is jealous and angry that, like, she's lost everything because basically business has dried up. So she she starts saying like oh yeah I bet she's just doing this to get like to get souls from people and she's like the bad one in this scenario but that's that's her justification it's not actually what's happening yeah yeah like yeah. you said like she ha- she hasn't taken over the valley she's not she's not killing people and collecting their souls like she's she is um like genuinely just there to care for the sick and the abandoned and. I mean, the entire point of her boss fight is to show that you basically just intruded onto these two people's lives and you're trying to kill them to justify like your own, your own quest. So, um, it, it is a moral choice, definitely. Like who's, who's yeah. right, who's wrong. Like I know that, I know that you're supposed to do this, but do you really like if that makes sense? Well, yeah, cause it's, it's like an impasse because. Even though, like, she's not she's not doing anything bad and she's not evil, the fact that she's using the soul arts at all is hastening the fog that's destroying Boletaria. So, yeah, like, eventually, like, someone is going to have to stop her or else the world will end. Yeah. Yeah, but she's also not doing anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we talked a lot about this in the podcast that got lost. Yeah. We had a whole philosophical discussion about whether she's good or bad and what she's yeah. doing and how maybe the world should end. But I guess that will never see the light of day, will it, Richard? No, but but we did manage to preserve your side of the conversation, which is you explaining an anime to me about the policy. The policy. <laughs> Carl got it. Though. Oh, we have to point this out that Carl not only is Carl... Uh, part of the Souls community, uh, an incredible artist. He's also a genius. Because when I explained the boxes on stream, he got it. He was like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> the boxes and the policy and the pacifiers. And the I race. didn't get it right away. Like, I had to spend, like, a good five minutes trying to decipher what you were talking about because you were, like, <laughs> rambling on about rings and boxes and the policy. Yeah, remember? <laughs> boxes, rings, pacifiers policy and then if that doesn't help babies mafia babies one baby is a cow the other baby has a gun that transforms into a lizard i mean that was that that was the point where i realized you were talking about katekyo hitman reborn but it took like a a good amount of effort to understand what everything else meant (laughs) (laughs) the best part was i started googling mafia baby and it was all this boss baby stuff (laughs) People had like photoshopped the boss baby to be part of the mafia. Came into my house at 3 a.m. Oh, real. <laughs> did you listen to the latest podcast we did? You mean the the, the Sekiro the Sekiro breaking news one? Yeah. <laughs> Aldrich came to my house at 5 a.m. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you don't even know the full story because because Richie was editing this podcast. He did a great job, by the way, but he cut out. We talked about Aldrich for like a good 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why it was cut out, because it was completely irrelevant. <laughs> no, but I decided that because it was really early and still dark, that I would use my uh, Tia Maria drink 
bottle to make a Molotov cocktail, and that's how I would protect myself from Aldrich. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was very happy that I have this one lighter in my house that I could use to make it. You were also very quiet in that podcast for like the first five minutes, and then your volume slowly started going up. <laughs> but I, it still didn't reach normal volume. I feel like by the end, it was still like pretty quiet because it was still like, what, 6 a.m. by the yeah, end of it? Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah, I, I had to put you through a bunch of like amplifiers and limiters to make you audible because <laughs> you're whispering for a lot of it. There's that part where like, Richard, don't make me scream! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but like when Sin said that she was like unusually calm and quiet in that podcast, I assumed it was like because she was like on painkillers or something. <laughs> No, it wasn't painkiller. It was just like it was just early, and I'm not allowed to scream because I would wake up my boyfriend as well as the neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So go on, Cal. <laughs> what were you talking about? Well, we were last talking about like the moral dilemma of fighting Shreya and Garl, and whether or not she was good or evil. So. She's not evil. She's like really good and selfless and she's the best. And the chosen one, what, is it the chosen in the demons? The chosen one. <laughs> Slayer of demons. Slayer of demons. The Slayer of demons is a effing piece of poop because he breaks into her house. He kills her <laughs> boyfriend. And then he's like, give me the is soul. This like, is going to be your excuse for not finishing the game. Exactly. I didn't, oh, shit. Sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard a loud noise. Yeah, no, no. everything's okay. It's because my space is small. It's like there's a plate here because I was snacking, but like the plate is hanging off the edge a little bit because the table is small. Sin, sin, like you should just put the plate on your head so it won't fall off because it's a Oh my god, are we surface. trying this? We're trying this. Okay, give me a sec. I have to take off my headphones to try it so I don't hear what you're saying. But, uh, okay, it's on my head and it's fine. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to what you said, there is actually like um, a, a small webcomic floating around the internet somewhere where the Slayer of Demons is just this asshole who's like trying to rob Garland Astraya. Well, he is though. Yeah, he is pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that part because I didn't know about that part of the story because I didn't go that far into the valley. But when Richie told me about it in the podcast that he lost, I was really saddened by it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Garl and Astraya are, like, my favorite um, boss fight, hands down, in Demon Souls. Um, because of, like, the moral dilemma that's included. But also because, like, it's just, it's just really nice storytelling. And, like, the set, the set piece, especially, like, when Astraya commits suicide, if you manage to kill, if you manage to kill Garl, and like, if you manage to like snipe Astraya from a perch, and 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 then Garl commits suicide, like, does he? Yeah, yeah, he does. Oh, Richie, you didn't tell me that. Well, it's a good thing we recorded it again then. <laughs> yeah, because Richie told me if you kill oh him, she God. commits suicide. But if you kill her, he's just really depressed and sad. And then you come see him and you're like, hey, little guy. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm sad because my girlfriend's dead yeah. and you killed her. And then you don't even invite him to your shrine. I think you made quite a bit of that up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but anyway, yeah, a uh, girl does commit suicide if you manage to find that perch where you can snipe Australia and she won't be able to hit you with Wrath of the Gods. I think it's called God's Wrath in this game. Yeah. And um, if you exit the area and then um, go back in, you'll see like, um, you'll see Garl's corpse and you'll be able to get his armor from there. And then I think afterwards, that's when his black phantom attacks you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank God you lost that, Richie. Because do you know how many comments I would have gotten? Like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but too bad we lost the whole conversation about the policy. Well, no, no. The thing is, we didn't. Because we have her side of it, which is 90% of it. Because just, I'm just mystified the entire time. Okay. <laughs> There's pacifiers and a box and a policy. And mafia babies. We started with the box because my boyfriend has because we were looking we at stuff on my shelf. Do it again, <laughs> okay? And on my shelf, I have some Fallout merchandise. It's a shelf that's very high up, so I didn't see. I see like three boxes. One is orange, one is green, one is blue. And I don't know if there's any more under these, but anyway, I was telling you, oh, that's from my favorite anime, but I couldn't really remember anything. So I started with the boxes and things live in the boxes, and then I remembered the the rings, and then I remembered the policy, which is three sets of. Uh, which are boxes, rings, and pacifiers. But then I remembered that I was wrong. And it's actually a set of rings, another set of rings, and a set of pacifiers. And then you were like, confused. And then I'm like, I'll explain it. Because the babies were the pacifiers. And they're actually mafia babies because they come from a special bloodline. And then they weren't always babies. It's adult who went to a cave. And then they got the pacifiers and they turned into the babies. And that's the policy. Yeah, and something about a policy. But the policy comes later at the end of the season. Good. Cal understood it perfectly. I, I just wanted to point out that the name of the main mafia clan in Katekyo Hitman Reborn is Vongola, which means clams in Italian. <laughs> yeah. So there's the, there's the clam mafia. Yeah, there's the Mare mafia and the Vongola mafia, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, aren't they like against each other at first but then they're chill with each other i honestly can't remember it's been like a decade since i last saw this anime (laughs) i saw it like a couple of years ago with my boyfriend he's actually the one that showed it to me and i fell in love with it and i love the cow baby he's the best (laughs) yeah and richie i showed richie uh an excerpt from it where uh reborn throws uh a piece of cake at lambo and then lambo eats it but inside is a grenade (laughs) 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 Richie thought that was a little weird but what does he know (laughs) okay so anyway anyway (laughs) um uh, let's just talk about Gaul and Australia for for a second here so Richie mentioned earlier that um Australia is also like very likely inspired by the, st- the story of Izanami and Izanagi. So Izanami's husband and also twin brother Izanagi. So when Izanami, <laughs> yeah, um, this happens a lot in mythology. But anyway, when, when Izanami wa- went to the underworld, uh, she died after giving birth to Kagutsushi. She, and then she was sent to the Yomi, also known as the Nenokuni or Land of Roots or Sokonokuni or the Hollow Land. And her husband, Izanagi, followed her to the underworld in an attempt to bring her back. But when he saw her, like she had already been consumed by rot and filth. And uh, Izanagi basically turned his back on her and abandoned her. And this caused Izanami to like swear revenge against the gods. 
I believe Richie also brought this up in his uh, Bastard's Curse video with Rosaria. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in Astraea's case, uh, the Boletarian church abandoned her and when she used a demon soul to gain powers that would enable her to cure the sick in the Valley of Defilement. But unlike Izanagi, uh, Garl Vinland chooses to remain by Astraea's side in spite of her demonhood and in spite of her being deemed filthy and unholy by the outside world. Uh, because unlike Izanagi, Garl is a good husbando who would never turn his back on his wife. <laughs> yes. Yes. And also, like in case it isn't obvious, even though it should be, Garl and Australia are examples of the knight and lady literary trope that you see so often in medieval literature. Um, one of the most famous examples of this is probably Lancelot and the Lady of the Lake, um, although the Lady of the Lake is not his love interest, that's actually, um, oh crap! Like her name is on the tip of my tongue right now, King Arthur's wife. But but Guinevere. anyway, yeah, Guinevere. Yeah, I I, I but I digress. It's confusing because there's a different Guinevere. Guinevere is King Arthur's wife. Yeah. yeah. Is King Arthur Flan? <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Um, yeah, like, I just wanted to talk about that, um, the knight and lady literary tropes are very common and they're quite fitting in this case here in Demon Souls. Yeah, they're also common and from games as well. Yeah, with, we talked about Egon and Irina as another example. Yeah. In the podcast that Rachel lost. Yeah, they yeah. How many, <laughs> you've been... <laughs> You've <laughs> been dragging this out for some time. Uh, go on. <laughs> um, let's move on to like the next section of my notes. So, oh um, no, wait, sorry, um, Richie. There's Egon and Irina in um, Dark Souls Three. Yep. There's Leroy in Dark Souls One. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, he's the Galvinland character, but he doesn't have a, a waifu. Oh, no, no, no. We decided his waifu is Nito, because that's who he's looking after. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, what about Bloodborne? Mm. There's barely any NPCs in Bloodborne. I guess yeah. it's Alfred, and his waifu is the queen. Kind sure. of. Well, she is corrupted. Mm. So it's a little bit of like of like a little bit of demon souls, a little bit of dark souls. They kind of like put it all together, and they get Alfred and the Queen. Theory real, <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> the policy. <laughs> the policy. Yes. <laughs> Is that going to be like our code word for this podcast? The policy. No, that's a code word for life. Okay. Are we going to have to start a new podcast just called the policy? <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's the five a.m. podcast we're going to do. <laughs> but oh my god Richie you say code words are useless but you see Kel knows about the code words yeah but, yeah, but, but, they but, don't, but what do they, they don't do? do anything they make you feel fulfilled it's just, just confusing me Brian Kelly is our like code word champion I think uh, like Brian got every code word we ever mentioned okay even the tricky ones where it's like in the description or on the screen or in another podcast I feel like we should apologize to Brian for the the effort he's put into remembering all of these. 
Brian also said that uh, I seriously think you're slowly driving Richard completely mental. Gotta love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a shame we lost the policy discussion because I think that was me snapping and just be like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of it, you just delete your side of it. Like, no, (laughs) no, that's unacceptable. (laughs) I just tell her I lost it. But no, I mean, I mean, Sin still has her half of that recording, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's technically uh, not lost. Like, you just lost the important Valley of Defilement discussion, but you managed to keep the discussion about the policy. Yeah, so I'll just, yeah, Richie has been, Richie has been like, yeah, release it, release it. You know what? I'll release it, Richie. If that's what you want, I'll release my side of the policy. <laughs> didn't, didn't you release one that's like, it's just me talking to no one? For like yeah, 15 minutes. I remember that one. It was like when, when Loki's internet dropped out or something. Yeah, something. Ha- no, okay. Well, okay. This time what happened is someone who's part of this podcast, not Richie, lost like half an hour of recording yeah. somehow, which yeah. included Loki and themselves. And we don't know who. <laughs> So we can't point fingers, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so it was just like, Richie sent me his audio and was just like, so him talking for like half an hour. So I just put that on Patreon. So if you ever want to hear Richie talking to himself for half an hour, check out our $2 tier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you uh, you referenced the audio in that instance being lost by someone who wasn't me. It's it's impossible to say. It's like Bloodborne lore. It could be anything. It's up to people listening to speculate. Yeah, she she may or may not have a flat head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's literally called Translations Part Two: Richard's monologue, twenty-seven minutes. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, we'll get that, and we'll get the policy, and we'll put them side by side, <laughs> and we'll see if they sync up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, I'm just going to move on to, like, the next part of my notes. Please. Um, this was what I wanted to talk about mainly. Um, in East and Southeast Asian cultures, um, there exists a folklore trope of a woman who acts as a caring mother figure towards specifically abandoned or dead infants and children. So in Filipino mythology and by extension also Indonesian and Bornean, this figure is known as Mebuyan, that she is the surrogate mother goddess of unwanted children. And she's described as having a thousand breasts, which allow her to suckle an endless amount of dead babies. So obviously mm-hmm. Astraea would Astraea does not have a thousand breasts she would probably look more like the fair maiden if she did. And, like, <laughs> but, 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 but anyway, like you, like the, you get, you get, you get the, the general gist of it. Like there, there, there is this entity um, who exists to take care of children and babies that no one wants. Like maybe they were born deformed or they had like some sort of illness um, in Asian cultures, like in particular, um, it's it's actually quite common to abandon or outright kill babies who were born with um, physical ailments. So um, it doesn't surprise me at all that this kind of mythology would revolve around something like that. Um, so, like where I'm from, like from the Philippines, like there is a there's a 
place called Sigatuna Village in Quezon City, and there is a statue there known as the Shrine of the Unborn Child. And it depicts a hooded woman nursing and being surrounded by several dead babies. So at first glance, this may appear to be the Virgin Mary, but the identity of the woman is never specified. And it may very well be a composite depiction of Mary and Mebuyan, aka the surrogate mother goddess of unwanted children. So um, this mother goddess is an archetype. So she's found like not just in Southeast Asian culture, but also in East and South um, Asian cultures that they go by different names. It's just really fascinating to me, but like coming from this part of the world, like what the priorities are when it comes to developing mythologies. Um, I believe there's also an equivalent of um, this archetype in like very, very early Chinese cosmology, possibly also extending to early Jomon period cosmology in Japan. Uh, again, the role is delegated to several different goddesses. And again, as an archetype, this means that the uh, quote-unquote mother of the unwanted can be found across various East and Southeast Asian cultures. And I think it's safe to say that, like again, whether this was a conscious choice by Miyazaki or not, Australia is a nod to this archetype. And you also see this like pop up several times like throughout the Souls games. So um, Dark Souls 1, I would say um, Priscilla is also a nod to the Mother of the Unwanted. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you could you, um, you could make a case for Lady Maria being one in the Old Hunters, even though she's not really, um, she's not actively like caring for the people of the Fishing Hamlet, but she is protecting it from the hunter. She's also caring for the people in the research. Right, right. I completely yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I was going to bring her up later on with reference to like a, like a Mother Teresa figure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we've got Dark Souls 3 with Sister Frida, but I don't really want to talk about Dark Souls 3 or Frida. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Richie, you wanted to add some some stuff to that? Um, well, I guess like we should specify for people who haven't played Demon Souls that the game is explicit about like the valley is somewhere where like unwanted children would be sent and yes. like where women would go to have abortions, which yes. is where all the dead babies are from that they've like just flooded down the valley into where Australia is. Yes. Mm-hmm. So like that, yeah. that goes into like the next section of my notes. So the, the demon babies, which is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, because um, this is going to say like getting a segue real quick into my childhood. So like, I grew up in the Philippines, right? We have, we have demon babies quite prominently in our mythology and they always scared the fuck out of me when I was a kid. And, <laughs> and it, it, it didn't help that like, like my, my mom is a, is a doctor. So she, she's a gynecologist. So her, her, her job basically was to deliver babies. And like, I, I grew up around like that kind of environment. And it was just like, it just, freaked me out so much and like i still kind of have a phobia of pregnant women to this day but like it's just it really fascinates me like how creepy something like an unborn baby can be um it's probably the uncanny valley effect like you're supposed to recognize this as a human being but it doesn't it doesn't like really feel like one to you especially when 
especially when you take it when you put it in the context of like being a demon or a ghost um demon babies are like i said they're very prominent in east and southeast asian folklore um, most prominent i would say in philippine indonesian malaysian folklore um so um the demon babies in the valley of defilement they are a mob enemy that emerge from the blood swamp in the lowest level and they they basically surround astraya and if you get too close to them they attack the player with their claws causing plague if i remember correctly yeah so, yeah and uh, their design very closely matches the common description of the Filipino Tianak, which is a grotesque, dark-colored, aborted fetus or infant with red eyes, a wide mouth, which may or may not be upturned in a creepy grin or slasher smile, and toxic fangs and claws. In Filipino popular culture, the Tianak is also often portrayed as being completely covered in blood, which is what we get with the Valley of Defilement Demon Babies. So uh, incidentally, like the botchling from the Witcher series, I believe is also based on the on the Chianak. I forget where exactly it was mentioned. So I think it was either in an interview or in one of the art books. Um, one of the creature concept artists mentioned talking about it as inspiration. Like I don't know how deeply they delved into the mythology of it, but just just the overall design of a creepy baby covered in blood with fangs and claws and with a slasher smile i think that's like that's perfect monster material right there yeah yeah i think another Mm -hmm. oh okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay i go first because i'm gonna talk about a demon baby okay does it have a policy (laughs) (laughs) it's better by better, I mean, this thing creeped the F out of me till this day. And I saw this years and years and years ago. So I just want you, it's time stamped. So it should start where it's supposed to start. So I just want you guys to press play. Um, and Cal, what, what you were saying about like the babies and stuff, and like how you're creeped out. Well, this thing, uh, re- like this is what I'm creeped out about for life. Okay. Okay. It's just buffering. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. Are y'all creeped out for life too? Is that the sun that scared you? No, no, no. The the sun sun that scared me is something else. I feel like Dead Space 2 traumatized me a lot more than other games that I've actually finished. Yeah, I'm surprised I'm finished it. Usually I'd be like, nope, bye. But I, I really liked it, so I pushed through. <laughs> but yeah, oh man. Cal, yeah. do you know about the sun that scares you? No, not really. Did you play Dead Space 2 yet? No. Okay, these are spoilers, so we'll keep them for later after you finish playing Dead Space 2 one day. I don't think I'm ever going to play any of the Dead Space games anyway, so like, go ahead yeah, and sell it. Why? We'll stream it. That's our next goal. No. Stream. Because, oh, there's no co-op. It's Dead Space 3. Never mind. We'll figure it out. It's okay. We got you, Kyle. We will make sure you will experience Dead Space 2. Can you stream Kuwan instead? I hear the gameplay is bad. Yeah, the gameplay is terrible, but I love everything else about it. 
Okay. Richie <laughs> was streaming Kuan. Um, alright, I'll see, I'll have to get a PS2 emulator running, and if that doesn't work- Oh no, it's PS2? It's PS2, so I'll either oh, have to get no. a PS2 emulator working, which may not, because this computer is a potato. Yeah. <laughs> and if I can't get that, we'll have to buy a copy of Kuan. Yeah. And they retail for about $250 used. Jeez. Okay. So, basically, because uh, I can't do an emulator on my thing either, basically we would need, like, PlayStation 2s and versions of Kuon. Well, I've got a PlayStation 2. Well, I don't have one. What, what are we both streaming it together? Yeah. So, how much would how? that be, Richie? PlayStation 2 plus Kuon well, play- for each PS2s one PS2s aren't that expensive because it's an old system. My boyfriend just said we have a PlayStation 2, you moron. (laughs) Okay, I forget that my boyfriend had no life until he met me. So, yeah, he probably does have it. Okay, so how much does Kuan cost? Like 200 bucks, 250. Okay, so that's like 500. So that's a patron goal. If we can reach it, uh, we do Kuan. Okay. Okay. There we go. How will this work? We'll figure it out once we get there. Are we going to have, like, OBS, like, running, like, in split screen or something? Yeah, and it's going to be like a race. Who finishes it first? Do you know what's going to happen? What? We'll buy it, and then the next day it'll be on PS4. (laughs) (laughs) Because that happened to me with Wild Arms 3. What is that? Oh, it's a JRPG I really liked on the PS2, and then, like... I spent ages like, mm, I don't know if I can like justify buying a used copy of this because they're pretty expensive. And then I got it. And then like like a week later, it was on PSN for like 20 bucks. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, I wouldn't mind having Kuan on PS4 if they fix the yeah. gameplay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get back on topic? Yeah, Richard, do you want to get back on topic? <laughs> I was going to say that um, another inspiration behind the babies might be Berserk, because it's something that Miyazaki keeps going back to. Yeah. And in that, there is a recurring, like, aborted demon baby that yeah. sort of stalks the protagonist around. Right, yeah. Yeah. Is it Casca's baby? It's Casca, Guts, and Griffith's baby. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't think we should go into detail about it on this podcast about exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah. I think I think every I think everyone who knows about Berserk knows about that anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but I agree let's not go into detail about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh well anyway, like earlier uh Richie mentioned that the value of defilement is basically like a dumping ground for unwanted babies. Um basically um what I think is happening is like it's uh it's it's a means of eugenics and um like basically population control. So um at least in Asia, um, I know it was very common for noble women or people like who couldn't afford to take care of children to just like outright, like like I said earlier, outright murder them or get rid of them. Uh, I'm going to read, read a quote from a book about uh, 16th century uh, Philippine society. 
Um, it says that um, abortions were a common form of family planning practiced by ranking ladies to limit their lineage and preserve their heritage or by others because of poverty or poor prospects for their children. They were induced by massage, strong herbal medicines, or probing with a stick. Furthermore, the science had a custom of abandoning babies born with debilitating defects, which led many observers to believe that the science were never born blind or crippled. So again, uh, eugenics and population control. Yeah, we had a similar discussion with regard to Deracine. Yeah. There's discussion of changelings and Deracine, and there was the, the, I guess, European sort of Celtic equivalent was saying that like if a child is born with a deformity or sickly, that it's not really a human child, it's a changeling. That mm-hmm. sort of justified getting rid of the child. Uh, yeah, by saying this wasn't really a child. Yeah. So, like, yeah. again, like, ju- just the fact that um, these these children, these babies, the fact the fact that they weren't considered human by um, the people of Boletaria, and then just basically dumped into this like garbage pit of phallic development, and that Australia goes there and revives them. Like, I don't think that's an act of evil. That's very clearly a, yeah. an act of compassion to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mentioned earlier that these these babies actually like they pop up from the blood pool when you get closer to Australia. They're clearly protecting her because, as far as they know, like she is their mother. She's the one who cares for them. Like even if they are deformed monsters, um, they have this instinct to protect her. Also, wanted to note that pregnancy and dead babies are also quite prevalent in Japanese folklore and pop culture, especially in horror stories. Um, Yeah. Junji Ito also has at least one demon baby in one of his short stories from the early 1980s. And also Bloodborne, enough said. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And look, we only took up an hour of your time. We're so professional. Yay! Yeah, that not not since Santa and uh, Final Fantasy X has something gone that smoothly. <laughs> See, and like I was thinking, oh, that's just that's just Santa being professional, but we had him on again, and it went on for like two and a half hours because she, <laughs> she kept distracting him. I think it's like the longer people podcast with you, the harder they are to keep on topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's their fault. <laughs> okay. Do the outro, Richie. Well, thank you, Cal. That was uh, our discussion of the value of defilement and Maiden Australia. Uh, we didn't go over Cal's. We went over Cal having um, social media and art stuff, but do you want to just repeat that? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, you can find me on ArtStation. Um, that's just artstation.com slash CalSantiago, A-R-T. S-T-A-T-I-O-N dot com slash C-A-L-S-A-N-T-I-A-G-O I also have my own website which is calsantiago.com Cool. Yay! Okay, well thank you so much for coming, Kyle. This was super enlightening. Yeah, I mean, thanks, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Anytime, you can come back. Did you hear how I said you're welcome? <laughs> that was the snobbiest thing ever. I actually kind of heard you say penguin the way Benedict Cumberbatch says. Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, thanks so much, Kel. This was awesome. Um, Reggie, how do we practice? <laughs> I think that. I think that was. Well, are we going to re- record something about Selen Vinland and then just really awkwardly edit it in? <laughs> oh, that's gonna be. We're just gonna do it in parts. We'll just one day record something else about the. Valley. We're not going to be able to get an hour out of Selen Vinland. <gasps> um, Cal, you are a witness to this. Richie, repeat what you just said. We're not going to be able to get an hour of content out of Selen Vinland. So I will play this in the beginning yeah, of a yeah. podcast. When we record yeah. a podcast separately, I will play that clip in the beginning. And then we'll see. When you say, oh, we got an hour out of the lock shield. And we did. <laughs> we got five minutes out of the lock shield. And the rest was just like random tangents that had nothing to do with the lock shield. You got half an hour of courted by the werewolf lawyer, so... <laughs> That's true, yeah. Maybe we'll find something, some, like, horrible ebook about someone did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for, for coming, Kyle. This was super awesome, super enlightening. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Let us know if you have any other enlightening things to say about the series, because we sure don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, I can mostly talk about stuff that, like, has to do with art history and, like, Asian culture, so I might be able to find something, but I don't know. Yeah. No pressure, but uh, have it on my (laughs) desk by noon. (laughs) 